Amen. Thank you, brother. I love that song. How many of you are thankful tonight that um, when we come to Jesus, we can come just like we are? We, we don't have to uh, clean up and come to Christ. We come to Christ and he cleans us up. And I'm thankful for that this evening. There's nothing um, that's holding anyone back from coming to the Lord and placing faith in him. Regardless of who you are, what you've done, where you've been, the grace of God is sufficient for you. If you'll only trust in him, uh, he'll change your life. And so I'm very thankful for that song. And then if he has changed our life, then it ought to be our aim and our purpose to bring eternal glory to the name of the Lord Jesus. Can you say amen? Not just with our lips. It's good to do that like we've done tonight, but also with our lives each and every day by the decisions and choices that we make. So uh, praise the Lord for that. Take your Bibles, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter number 15, and we're going to continue where we left off last week. I am thankful this evening um, and humbled for the great privilege and opportunity of sharing with you the words written on the pages of your Bible. I'm glad that I get the, the great privilege of sharing with you truth. And you say, Russell, why, why do you say you're thankful for that? Well, I, I'm thankful for a lot of different reasons, but the main one is this. I know that every time I share with you the truth that's written in the pages of Scripture, that's just what I'm doing. I'm sharing with you truth. This truth brings light into darkness. Can you see me? This truth, truth brings people from spiritual deadness to new life in Christ. This truth um, will bring joy to your soul, peace to your heart. And so I'm thankful that I get the privilege of sharing with you truth. And that's what I love about preaching the Word of God. I enjoy um, preaching what God lays upon my heart. Because I know as long as I stay with what's written on the pages of Scripture, I'm giving you truth every time. And not many people can say that. How many, how many of you know you're not going to find truth everywhere you look in the world? But I know as long as I stick with what God says, His Word is absolute truth and I'm thankful to have the privilege of sharing it with you this evening. And the truth that I want to share with you tonight is truly life-changing. We talked about that last week. Not only does it change our lives now, but it absolutely changes eternity. I can't think of a more powerful truth to share with you than the truth of the resurrection. Last week we talked about the power of the gospel. And this week we're going to go on and see what the Apostle Paul says concerning the resurrection. Man, it's an amazing Amazing thing. Let's look in 1 Corinthians 15, and we're going to start tonight at verse number 9. Look what Paul says there in verses 9, 10, and 11. For I am the least of the apostles, that I am meet to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. Who will say amen to that? By the grace of God, I am what I am. I know what I was. I know what I've been. And folks, I'm not near what I need to be. I've not arrived yet. But praise God, I'm not what I used to be. And I have seen a growing process. And it's by God's amazing matchless grace, He's changed me from what I once was. And I'm thankful for that. So I, can, I too can say, by the grace of God, I am what I am. Again, not what I need to be, but praise God, I'm not where I used to be. I'm still a work in progress. He's still working on me. By his grace, uh, daily, he continues to work on me. But I, I love what he says there. By the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace, which was bestowed upon me, was not in vain. But I labored more abundantly than they all. Yet not I, but the grace of God, which was with, was, which was with me. Therefore, 
whether it were I or they, so we preach, and so ye believe. Now, the first thing that I want you to see in, in this passage of Scripture this evening is the humility of the Apostle Paul. He says, I'm the least of all the apostles. And I've told you before my thoughts, my feelings on Paul the Apostle. I believe him to be the man who's done the most for the cause of Christ than, than, than anybody in history. If you look at the writings of the Apostle Paul, he wrote 13. We know he wrote 13 of the, of the books of the New Testament writings. I believe he wrote 14. I believe he wrote the book of Hebrews. We, don't, you can agree, we can agree to disagree if you disagree with that, but when we study the book of Hebrews in the next few months, I, I think that you would agree with me. It looks a whole lot like what the Apostle Paul has wrote in other places. We know all Scripture is inspired by the Holy Spirit, but I believe it has Paul's touch on it. He wrote, we know, 13 books of the New Testament. He went on three missionary journeys all over the world, the known world at that time, sharing the gospel and planting churches. And it's through the writings of the Apostle Paul, the modern church is based today. So Paul, in my estimation, has done more for the cause of Christ than probably anybody. But he says, I am the least of the apostles. He's a very humble man. And he says, um, it's only by God's grace that I am what I am. One thing that I love about Paul, the only confidence he has is his confidence in Christ. Paul is very confident, but he's not arrogant. Arrogance is when we have supreme confidence in ourselves. Spiritual boldness is when we have supreme confidence in the work and ministry of Christ in our life. Now, folks, I want to tell you something. You should be confident in Jesus. You should be confident in Christ. But we never need be arrogant, trusting and relying upon our own self-righteous ability and what we can do. Paul said in the book of Romans, chapter number 7, he says, I know that is in my flesh there dwells no good thing. And so really what Paul is saying is, me apart from Christ, I can do nothing. But Paul also said in Philippians 4.13, through Christ I can do all things. So get the picture. Paul is saying without Christ I am nothing, I can do nothing, and I'm condemned to a devil's hell. With Christ I am a son of God, I'm filled with the Holy Spirit, and I can be and do what God has called me to be and do. Confidence in Jesus. Paul was a very humble man. I heard somebody say once upon a time that humility is not thinking uh, less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. <laughs> I like that. See, you, you don't have to think less of yourself because I want you to know something, folks. Jesus died for you. You are not worthy of it. But he valued you enough to go to a cross and take the penalty for your sin. So you don't have to think less of yourself. We all know that when it comes to the gospel message, the ground is level at the foot of the cross. Can you say amen? It took just as much grace to save me as it took to save you. Regardless of who you've been, who you are, what you've done, where you've been, listen, it's God's grace that saves all of us and all of us need it. Every one of us. So we don't have to think less of ourselves. No. To be truly humble means you think of yourself less. And so Paul says, I'm the least of the apostles. I like that. Confident in Christ, but never arrogant, 
being confident in his own abilities. And that's how we ought to live our lives. He says in verse 11, Therefore, whether it were I or they, so we preach, and so ye believe. Now, if Christ be preached that he rose from the dead, how say some among you that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there be no resurrection of the dead, then is Christ not risen? And if Christ be not risen, then is your preaching, is our preaching vain, and your faith is also vain. Yea, and we are found false witnesses of God, because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ, whom he raised not up, if so be the dead rise not. For if the dead rise not, then is not Christ raised. And if Christ be not raised, your faith is in vain, and ye are yet in your sins. Then they also which are fallen asleep in Christ are perished. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most miserable. Listen at verse 20. But now is Christ risen from the dead and became the first fruits of them that are slept. Let's pray together. Father, we love you. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for giving us your truth. Lord, I'm thankful for the great privilege and opportunity that you've allowed me to have tonight to share this truth with your people. But Lord, I realize that I can do nothing in and of myself. I can never be effective without the power of you, Holy Spirit, working on me, working in me, and working through me. So Lord, I'm asking right now that you would fill me up and you would pour me out in the lives of these people. I'm praying, Lord Jesus, you would speak to me and speak through me. Have your way and your will in this service. And I'm praying that we, when we leave here, we'll be different than we were when we came here. Lord, I'm asking for a fresh anointing, a fresh touch. Father, help us to share this truth that's so powerful. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Now, <laughs> oh, praise the Lord. <clears throat> From the mouths of babes, amen. There's three things that I want to share with you that I believe about the Lord Jesus. Number one, I believe Jesus was God incarnate in the flesh. I believe that with everything in me. I believe he was born perfect so that he might live perfect, so that he might one day go to a cross and be the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. I believe Jesus was God himself walking around in human flesh for 33 and a half years upon this earth. Now let me tell you why I believe that. I believe that because what we have on the pages of Scripture is eyewitness testimony of who Jesus is and what Jesus did. Not only do we have biblical record of what, who Jesus was and what he did, we also have other historical record, listen to me now, other than the Bible that shares with us who Jesus was and what he did. We have at least seven extra biblical sources that share with us about the ministry and life of Jesus. That's an amazing thing. I never want you to forget that. But what we have in the book of Matthew and in the book of John is eyewitness testimony as to what Jesus did while he was here. How many of you know it's one thing to claim to be God? We've heard a lot of that. I mean, there have been thousands of people throughout uh, the years since the, the, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus that have claimed to be God. But it's one thing to claim it. It's another thing to prove it. And that's exactly what Jesus did. He didn't just say he was God. He proved he was God. Now, how did he do that? Well, he did things only God could do. He, he raised up dead people. And John said, 
I saw it with my own eyes. Listen, he healed blinded eyes and deaf ears. And listen to me, folks. He spoke to storms and they were stilled at his voice. He walked on water. I want you to think about that just a moment. He had complete authority over all creation. Now, why is that the case? Well, that's the case because he created it. He made it. Listen, he is creator of the universe that didn't just become God when he was born as a baby in Bethlehem, but was God even in eternity past before the beginning. Can you see me? Jesus came and did things only God could do because he was God incarnate in the flesh. Not only... Do I believe Jesus was God incarnate in the flesh? I I believe Jesus died for our sins. Again, it's historical record that Jesus was crucified under the authority of the Roman governor Pilate. But the reason he died, listen, was not because he was a criminal, because I am a criminal. You are a criminal. You say, well, I'm not a criminal. I've not broken any laws. Well, you've broken God's law, and that's really the law that counts. Can you see me? <laughs> we've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. The Bible says we've all broken God's law. We've all went our own way and done our own thing, and we've become rebels against God who is holy. We all stand in need of a Savior. And the good news is, Jesus, the perfect, righteous, holy Son of God, God the Son, went to a cross and done for us what we couldn't do. He paid the ultimate sacrifice. He was the Lamb of God without spot or blemish. Again, being born perfect so that he might live perfect, fulfilling the law of God through his righteous living. And then went to a cross and fulfilled, listen to me now, The judgment of God against sin. Only Jesus could die for our sin because he's the only one who is sinless. Are you hearing me? I believe Jesus was God incarnate in the flesh. I believe Jesus died for our sin. Listen to me. He died for your sin. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son gave him for what purpose to be the savior to be the propitiation the acceptable substitute of mankind upon a cross paying for my sin debt and for yours I love that word propitiation I get it from 1 John chapter 2 and verse number 1 Jesus became the propitiation for our sins that means the acceptable substitute only Jesus could die for me because only Jesus was sinless. If God is holy, he required a perfect sacrifice so that sins might be forgiven. If God is perfect, he required perfect blood to be spilled. And it was Jesus who spilled his blood for us all. He is the acceptable, suitable sacrifice, the propitiation for my sin and for yours. Let me tell you what else I believe about Jesus. I believe Jesus did die, but he didn't stay dead. We sing a song, um, a worship song around here that I like, and it talks about he was laid in a borrowed tomb. 
Let me tell you why it's a borrowed tomb. He only needed it for three days. He conquered death, hell, and the grave through his resurrection. Now, let me tell you why I believe this. I believe this. Listen to me now. Because first of all, like we looked at last week, we have eyewitness accounts of those who saw him after his resurrection. The Apostle Paul says here in 1 Corinthians 15 that 500 people at once saw Jesus after the resurrection. And pretty much he says those that saw him, most of them are still alive today. If you don't believe me, go ask them is really what he's saying. Jesus conquered the grave. I told you last week that if you take those 500 witnesses that saw Jesus post-resurrection and gave them 15 minutes to testify, just 15 minutes, we would have 125 hours of eyewitness testimony that Jesus conquered the grave. Our faith is not a leap in the dark. Our faith is based upon historical record, eyewitness accounts that we find not only on the pages of Scripture, but in many other historical documents. Are you hearing me? It's very important that you know that. Now, why am I telling you all of this? Because I want to emphasize, just like Paul emphasizes in 1 Corinthians 15, the importance of the resurrection. Listen to me, folks. I don't think there's another place throughout the New Testament that Paul or anybody else emphasizes it more, and there's several reasons for that. First of all, um, there must have been, from the writings that we've already read, there must have been some people there in Corinth that were doubting the resurrection. He says, if Christ be raised from the dead, why are some of you saying he's not been raised from the dead? And so he's making it plain to all of them, listen to me, that Jesus is, is alive. Now let me tell you what we believe about the resurrection. Not only is he alive, but he bodily rose from the grave. Do you understand what I'm saying? A lot of people teach today, I've heard it said, that they didn't really believe Jesus rose from the grave bodily or in the flesh, but Jesus rose in spirit. Listen to me, folks. When Jesus stood before Thomas and Thomas was doubting, do you remember that? Jesus stood before Thomas and Thomas said, I'm not going to believe that, he is, that he's risen from the grave until I see the prince in his hands and in his side. When I see that, see, Thomas knew that he had been crucified. Thomas knew that they'd stuck a spear in his side. He said, I'll tell you what, when I see that, I'll believe. And the Bible says the doors being shut, Jesus walked into the upper room where they were and he said, Thomas, reach hither your finger into my side and reach your finger into my hands and be not faithless but believing. Let me tell you something. A spirit can't do that. Jesus rose again bodily from the grave. That is so very important because you need to realize one day you and I will raise again bodily from the grave if you've placed your faith in the finished work of Christ. So there were some folks there who didn't believe in the resurrection and were preaching against it. And Paul said, no, no, listen now. Jesus rose again. And then he gives us some arguments 
that are very powerful in my opinion. Let's think for a moment, what if that was not true? What if it's not true? Because that's really the angle Paul takes here in sharing the truth that he shares. What if it's not true that Jesus rose from the dead? What would that mean for me and for you? Well, look what he says. First of all, he says in, in verse number 14, if Christ be not risen, then what? Our preaching is in vain. <laughs> that means our preaching would be pointless. See, Paul was a preacher. Paul gave his life to the preaching of the gospel. The Bible says in the book of Romans chapter number 1 that it's through the foolishness of preaching God chooses to save the lost. <laughs> Praise the Lord. The world sees the preaching of the gospel as foolishness, but God turns around in his sovereignty and power and uses what the world thinks is foolishness to change lives and to change people's eternity, to bring people from condemnation to hell to new life in Christ, eternal life in Christ. And so Paul understood the importance, the relevance of preaching the gospel, and he actually gave his life for that. He was martyred because of it. He just couldn't shut up about the truth that had changed his life. Amen. And he says, if Christ be not risen, then our preaching is vain. It means absolutely nothing. Verse 14. And if Christ be not risen, then is our preaching in vain? Then he goes a step further. And your faith is also vain. If there is no resurrection from the dead, then our preaching is pointless. But let me say something else. Our faith is futile. It means nothing. Let me tell you what we place our faith in if we are to be saved. The Bible says it's by grace through what we are saved. It's by grace, God's undeserved favor toward us, through our faith that we are saved. Well, faith in what? Faith in the finished. Everybody say finished. Faith in the finished work of Jesus. How many of you know part of the gospel message is that Jesus was born perfect through the virgin birth? It's a big part of it, but it's only part. The Bible teaches Mary became great with child not having ever known a man. We just celebrated Christmas. We celebrated the fact that the sinless Son of God was born through the virgin birth. She had never known a man in an intimate fashion, yet the Bible says the angel told her that the power of the Most High would overshadow her and that holy thing in her would be called what? The Son of God. So Jesus was not born of the seed of man, but was born of the seed of God himself, making him perfect in birth. Now, why is that important? Why is that so powerful uh, for us? Well, folks, the truth is, uh, listen to me now, every single man, woman, boy, and girl that's been born of the seed of man have been born into sin. You, me, and everybody else. It's what the theologians would, would call um, the depravity of man. We are, we are born spiritually dead and depraved. And I'm going to be honest with you. I told you this before. I struggled with that for a long time until I had children of my own. I struggled with the fact, how could that little baby that's so sweet, so innocent, so beautiful, how could that baby be in sin? Then I had children of my own. 
And I began to understand with my own kids. I never had to teach them to sin. I didn't have to teach them how to lie. They came here knowing how to lie. I didn't have to teach them to be selfish. At two and three years old, the most selfish person you're ever going to be around in your life is a little toddler that wants their toys. You ever saw them? There'll be a room full of toys. And maybe they've got a brother or sister or a friend that's playing with those toys and they ain't even looked at that toy in six months. But the moment that other child goes over and picks up that toy, what's that child say? Mine. They came here knowing how to be selfish. And if you don't give them what they think is mine, they're going to pitch a fit. That's how we came here, selfish. I've come to find out I didn't have to teach mine how to lie. That, that came natural to them. I didn't have to teach them how to say things they didn't need to say. That came natural to them. Why? Because they, just like I, was born of the seed of man, therefore being born into sin with a sinful nature, what we would call the Adamic nature. Dr. Tony Evans says it like this. He said he figured out whenever he had his babies, he thought, man, they're just sweet little angels. But he figured out real fast, the longer their legs got, the shorter their angel wings got. <laughs> and that's true. Why? Because we're sinners standing in need of a Savior. Not so with Jesus. He was born perfect from the beginning. And because he was born free of the sinful nature, then he could live the perfect life. Everybody got it? But that is just part. That is just part of the gospel message. Jesus did die for our sins, but that's just part of the gospel. Big part, yes, but that's just part of the gospel message. Listen, if he does not rise again from the grave, then the faith that we've placed in the work of Jesus is not finished. Everybody take your Bibles. Turn to Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10. You remember this verse well if you've ever went through or used the Roman road. Romans 10, verses 9 and 10. The Bible says that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thy heart that God hath what? Raised him from the dead, folks. Listen. Thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believes in the righteousness when the mouth confesses is made into salvation. You cannot leave out the resurrection or the work is not finished. If there is no resurrection, the preaching is pointless and faith is futile. But not only that, Paul goes on a step further. Look down at verse number 15 of 1 Corinthians 15. Yea, and we are found false witnesses of God because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ, whom he raised not up, if so be that the dead rise not. Now he says, if, if Jesus did not rise again, if he did not resurrect on that first Easter morning, then we are found false witnesses. Well, who are the we's? Who's he talking about? Well, he's talking about the apostles. He's talking, now, an apostle is simply one who has seen Jesus. That's what apostle means. The apostle Paul was called the apostle born out of due season, right? Now, we know he saw Jesus in his experience with the Lord on the road to Damascus. But Paul saw Jesus 
alive. Can you say amen to that? He was one of the apostles, one who had seen the risen Christ. Now, not only was it Paul, but we know the great preacher Peter. We know John, who wrote the Gospel of John, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John in the Revelation. He was also an apostle. We know um, people like Matthew. We, we know the, the rest of the original disciples, save Judas, were the apostles that the Lord used to carry the Gospel to the end of the earth. Now, what Paul is saying, if Jesus has not risen again from the dead, then th these disciples that we know all too well from reading Scripture, these apostles, they have deceived us. They've become false witnesses. A false witness is someone who will stand in a court proceeding, whatever it might be, a court of law or a deposition or whatever, and they knowingly, willingly give false testimony. Now, let me ask you something. We looked last week at how all of the original apostles died a martyr's death except for one, and that was the Apostle John. Do you think if these men were lying concerning the resurrection, they would have gave their life for that? Because at any moment, all they had to do was shut up. Remember us reading it? They kept telling them, if you'll just quit preaching this stuff about Jesus, we're going to leave you alone. But if you don't quit preaching about Jesus, we're going to put you in prison. And then they said, we're going to beat you with stripes. And they did. And then they said, we're going to kill you if you don't stop preaching about Jesus. And what did they continually say? We cannot help but preach what we've seen and heard. Listen to me, folks. Hypocrites and martyrs are not cut from the same cloth. A person will never willingly die for something they know is a lie. I don't believe that. How many of you ever heard of Chuck Colson? Anybody ever heard of the Colson Foundation? Fantastic ministry. Chuck Colson was the hatchet man for President Nixon during the Watergate scandal back in the early 70s. Chuck Colson was the one who was throwing everybody under the bus trying to save the presidency of Richard Nixon. I mean, he was the, um, to lack of a better, he was a scumbag, a big one. And he finally got caught up with in the Watergate scandal and he was sent to prison. While he was at prison, God by his grace Convicted his heart and saved him. Can you say amen? <laughs> Praise the Lord. Ain't you glad God's grace is available for everybody? So thankful for that tonight. Man, there's hope in Jesus. I don't care who you are, there's hope in Jesus. Chuck Colson got saved in prison. Was supposed to spend 30 years in a federal prison. And by the grace of God was let out, I think, in about 15 years on parole. He started a prison ministry that went all over the world into prisons everywhere preaching the gospel. Now, there's the Colson Foundation. He, sent, he passed away about five years ago, but he done amazing things for the kingdom of God. I heard him giving a lecture one time 
on uh, James Dobson, Focus on the Family. And, and he was talking about how he knew what the disciples were saying were true because they were willing to die for it. And, and he said he knew what they were saying had to be true because someone who's telling a lie won't spend time in prison or die for what they know is a lie. See, it was only him and two other people who knew the full story of the Watergate scandal. Only him and two others. It only took three days of them being in police custody for, uh, for the two other people that were with him to break and tell the full story. And so he said, if these men were willing to go to their grave to be beheaded, to be crucified upside down like Peter was, if they were willing to go through that torture and death, they knew the resurrection was real. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Now, if, there, if Jesus is not resurrected, then the disciples are deceivers. I can't believe that. These men gave their life for the gospel, for the truth that, yes, Jesus died, but he conquered the grave. If there is no resurrection, preaching is pointless, faith is futile, the disciples were deceivers. Listen, sin would reign supreme if there is no resurrection. Verse 17 says, And if Christ be not raised, your faith is vain, and ye are yet in your sins. How many of you know sin causes death? And death is an enemy we'll all face. Every one of us. If Jesus doesn't conquer death, which is caused by sin, then he can't conquer sin. Do you understand me? As a matter of fact, do you know what separates Jesus from every other religious leader? And I don't even like calling Jesus a religious leader. How do you know Christianity is not a religion? It's not. See, religion is about, it's man's feeble attempt to make themselves right with God by their own self-righteous acts or, or the keeping of rules and regulations. That's religion. That ain't what Jesus is offering. Christianity is not religion. It's not dead and dull and lifeless. Christianity is relationship. It's you actually coming to the place where you trust in the finished work of Christ and you become born again into his family. Born with a new nature, a spirit nature. Listen, it's you coming in right relationship with God himself. But for the sake of argument, and so that we'll all know what I'm talking about, what separates Jesus from every other religious leader that, that, that has ever walked the face of the earth? What separates Jesus from Muhammad, the leader of the Islamic faith, the founder of the Islamic faith? What separates Jesus from Buddha? What separates Jesus from Confucius? What separates Jesus from, from the leaders uh, of, of the, the religion of, of India? What, what separates Jesus from all these religious leaders? I'll tell you what. They all died. I can take you now to a place called Mecca. The Islamic faith yearly have a pilgrimage to Mecca. Uh, listen, 
Muslims from all over the world will travel to Mecca to pray at the tomb of Muhammad. Why? Because he's still dead. I can take you to the place in the Far East where the Buddhas are enshrined. I can take you to the place where Confucius is buried. We can take you to all these places. Why? Because these were mere men who could not conquer our greatest enemy. They were no more important or powerful than me and you. Why in the world would I follow a loser who lost to death when I could follow the winner who conquered death, hell, and the grave? Does that make sense to you? Makes perfect sense to me. Jesus proved he is the way, the truth, and the life because he conquered death. See, I don't care who you are. I don't care how much money you got. I don't care how much education you got. I don't care how much power you got in this world. I don't care what prestige you got. I don't care what rung of the social ladder you're on. Every one of us will face death. Every one of us. The only way we can conquer death is by trusting, by faith in the one who's already overcame it. Are you hearing me? If there is no resurrection, death would have complete dominion. Verse 18. They also which are fallen asleep in Christ are perished. I've got a brother who died at the age of 18. He was a believer. He had trusted in Christ. Matter of fact, he trusted in Christ about two weeks at a youth crusade led by Dawson McAllister. Have you ever heard of Dawson McAllister? He'd done a crusade in Hamilton. My brother accepted Jesus as his personal Savior two weeks prior to him being killed in a car wreck. Let me tell you this. I am thankful I have the hope as a believer of one day seeing him again. I've got grandmas and grandpas that I love so much that have went on to be with the Lord having placed their faith in Christ. And I'm so thankful that tonight I've got the hope of seeing them again. I've got mothers and fathers of the faith. I'm talking about some brothers and sisters in Christ who mentored me along the way, who spoke truth to my life, who helped me when I was struggling, who encouraged me when I wanted to quit, who went on to be with the Lord. And I cannot wait to one day see them. I have that hope as a believer. I read about men in the pages of Scripture, men like David. I love David. David, the man after God's own heart. He had a heart for Jesus, but I'm going to tell you, David would get in a gravel with you if you wanted to. Man's man. Love David. Go back and read about him. It's awesome. 
David, this great man of God, Daniel, this great man of God who stood for the Lord when the most powerful man in the world was coming against him, he stood for the Lord. He walked by faith. Men like Joshua leading the nation of Israel into the promised land and seeing God do all those miraculous things. I'm glad I've got the hope of one day seeing them. Men like Peter and Paul. I've got the hope as a believer of one day seeing them. Why? Because Jesus conquered death. Death is not the end. Death is not the end. <laughs> I'm so I'm glad of that. And you ought to be glad of that. The truth is, everybody in here tonight will spend eternity in one of two places. And that is dependent upon your decision whether to accept the truth about the finished work of Christ and trust in him or reject it. Now, if you trust in Jesus and his finished work, the Bible promises that you can be born again and have eternal life. John 3.32 says it like this. He who has the Son has life, but he who hath not the Son hath not life. Either you trust in Jesus or reject him. That's up to you. But I'm going to tell you, all of us will one day live in eternity somewhere. If you've trusted in him, the Bible says, our last breath on earth will be followed by our first breath in heaven. The Bible says, I will be reunited with my loved ones who's gone on before me. The Bible says, I will finally see King Jesus face to face. Not because of who I am, because of who he is and what he's done for me. Amen. So I'm thankful tonight. Because Jesus conquered death, death does not reign supreme. Now, if you refuse to trust in his finished work, the Bible says not only will you die physically, but you'll remain dead spiritually for an eternity in a place called hell. That don't have to be the case. Jesus has conquered the grave, conquered sin, conquered death, conquered hell. Aren't you glad? Aren't you thankful there's a resurrection? Because of the resurrection, I have hope. Because of the resurrection, every believer has hope. Verse 19 says, If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most miserable. But now is Christ risen from the dead and because the first and became the first fruits of them that are slept. We're going to talk about what those first fruits mean next week, but I'm going to tell you something. Tonight, Jesus is alive. He's alive. He's conquered the grave and did for us what we couldn't do for ourselves. I read a story one time about Harry Houdini. Anybody ever heard of Harry Houdini? He lived back in the 1920s. He was, not, he was a magician, yeah. He, he was an escape artist. And um, he escaped out of pretty much everything they put him in. One time they sealed him up in a milk can and he escaped. 
Think about that. Anybody ever seen a milk can? Harry Houdini had to be a little dude, but they put him in a milk can, and he got out of it. Um, they they uh, riveted him up in a, um, in a big copper vat, and he got out of that. I mean, put rivets in it, and he escaped from that some way. They, they put him in, um, in a maximum security prison. He escaped from that. He escaped from chains, being wrapped up in chains and straitjackets, hung upside down in front of a, a, a crowd of people, and he escaped from that. He was an escape artist, but in 1926, Harry Houdini died, and he told his wife on his deathbed, he said, if there's any way to escape, I'll do it on the anniversary of my death. And so for the next 10 years, she held a candlelight vigil at the grave of Harry Houdini. But guess what? He never escaped. Why? Because Harry Houdini was just a man. Jesus was not just a man. He was God incarnate in the flesh, coming in the likeness of sinful flesh to do for men what men can't do for themselves. Praise God for the resurrection. Listen. Jesus is alive and you need to trust him. Anybody got any comments, questions, prayer requests this evening?